from the American Academy of Dermatology, welcome to Dialogues in Dermatology. I'm Dr. Ben Stoff, Editor-in-Chief. Thanks for tuning in. Experience the surge in popularity among dermatologists with Unify Surgical Sutures from AD Surgical. Our sutures boast competitive pricing and exceptional needle quality, providing unparalleled value for your practice. Visit unifysutures.com and choose from over 300 suture options tailored to meet your specific needs. Call 888-841-8481 and mention this podcast ad to receive one free box of Unified Nylon Biopsy Sutures. No purchase necessary. Welcome to Dialogues in Dermatology. I'm Jules Lipoff. I'm Associate Professor Adjunct of Dermatology at Temple University in Philadelphia. Today, we're going to be talking about atopic dermatitis and its comorbidities. We have two wonderful guests to talk about that topic who have just developed a course for the AAD on this very topic. We have Dr. Steve Davey. He is an Associate Professor of Dermatology at Wayne State School of Medicine. And we have Dr. Aaron Drucker, who is an associate professor, Division of Dermatology at the University of Toronto. Welcome to you both. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. It's great. So the AAD put out new guidelines published in the JAD in 2022 on comorbidities with atopic dermatitis. And Dr. Drucker was one of the co-authors. And this course is an extension of that. And I had the chance to preview that course. And really great. I think it's important that y'all learn about this stuff and be up to date with everything that the new data and new information has brought. So why don't we get started? And let me start off asking, how has our understanding of atopic dermatitis comorbidities changed over time? It's a great question because unlike other guidelines where you're relying on clinical trials to make treatment decisions. Comorbidities is different in that, you know, you're usually not going to have that kind of definitive level of evidence. You're relying more on observational studies with less certainty. And it's really important that you have multiple studies supporting these associations before you say, well, I believe that this is a comorbidity of atopic dermatitis and even take that a step further and say, I believe there are actions that we should take as a clinician related to those comorbidities. And it's really been amazing to see over the last 10 or so years, really an explosion in literature related to comorbidities of atopic dermatitis. I think a lot of it's been inspired by previous work in psoriasis, but then it's taken a life of its own in atopic dermatitis, where we really have a lot of high quality studies exploring the association between atopic dermatitis and various comorbidities, some of which may have been obvious to people before, and others may be new and things that they never thought of when they thought of atopic dermatitis. Yeah, I certainly, as your average local dermatologist, I sort of, when I think about comorbidities and inflammatory diseases of the skin, I think psoriasis is what comes to mind first, because we certainly talk a lot about those. But maybe it's time to give atopic dermatitis the attention it deserves, right? What did we used to think about comorbidities? More specifically, are there certain ones that we really didn't consider that we're giving more attention to and vice versa are the ones we were more concerned about that were less so these days? So I think most clinicians, even outside of dermatology who don't spend that much time thinking about eczema, have been aware of the association between atopic dermatitis and other atopic conditions like asthma, hay fever, food allergies. So that's not going to be news to most people. I do think though it maybe need some new attention now that we have some medications that are available that can treat 
multiple atopic conditions at the same time. So there are, you know, potential clinical implications of those comorbidities. And I also think there are a number of comorbidities that I don't think people would have been aware of or thought about much before. Things like cardiovascular disease, which again, we saw come out with psoriasis, and maybe people hadn't considered for atopic dermatitis has been looked at. I think there's you know, not as definitive evidence there to show that with a lot of certainty, atopic dermatitis is associated with cardiovascular disease, but it's really a fascinating area of investigation and something that I'm glad is, is being looked at. So Dr. Dave, we, we, I want to include you in the conversation. Maybe you can comment on how do you think, since your part of the course is focused more on implementation and engaging in, in the clinical setting, how do you think dermatologists are at screening for comorbidities, and where is the most room for growth? You know, I think it can range a lot in what people are doing currently and what they could be doing. And I think these guidelines and our course is a great place to start to sort of look at these and say, okay, which ones am I screening for? Which ones am I raising awareness for patients to know about or even communicating with their primary care doctor Like Dr. Rucker said, I think we're pretty good with the asthma, allergies. We're kind of in that routine. It sort of even helps us sway the diagnosis when we're thinking about atopic dermatitis, but we may not be asking about things like mental health or even osteoporosis and and fracture risk. That was a big surprise for me in the guidelines to see an association there. And I think mental health is one where we can have a, a big impact for our patients because we all sort of intuitively know from treating patients with atopic dermatitis that it can be hard and it can really take a toll on their life. But sometimes once we sort of engage in actually screening and asking patients about it, we're surprised at how many patients might be struggling with depression or anxiety and not sharing with us. And we might be that first line person who can kind of help them get plugged in and and get treatment. What would you suggest for an average dermatologist listening saying, it's probably a good idea to try to screen but how do I integrate that? What would be a way to get started trying to pay attention to mental health comorbidities in my eczema patients? There's a range of what you can do there. Well, um, in the, the webinar, we talk a little bit about implementing the Dermatology Life Quality Index measure. And part of the reason is because we have a MIPS measure, so you can get credit for doing the work and collecting DLQI data from your patients who have chronic skin diseases. So you kind of can help your patients and get credit for, for MIPS reporting, which is always great. So we kind of really outline there how to implement that. But if you're looking to even kind of dip your toes in a little more, you can just sort of make a commitment that you're going to start asking patients if their mental health is affected. And I learned a great way to do it is to ask permission from the patient to say, we know that atopic dermatitis can impact people's mental health. Would it be okay if we talked about your mental health? And that way it doesn't sort of bring that stigma or make the patient feel like you're diverting and trying to talk about, just tell them that they're stressed out and they need to get over it. It kind of opens that window for them to have the conversation. So I think that's sort of the easy end of the spectrum. Or if you want to go the full quality improvement activity way, we kind of outline how to implement the DLQI in our webinar. And like I said, then you can get credit. I like that approach. Like, would it be okay if we talk about your mental health? It sounds like a pretty applicable to a lot. I don't think I have really asked that directly with eczema patients. I certainly bring it up with other conditions, say like hydradenitis, maybe more. But I think that you want to create a conversation rather than being journalistic and telling them things, right? Exactly, exactly. And it kind of lets them have a little control of the conversation too. So 
Branching out beyond just mental health, although we could talk a little more about that, Dr. Drucker, I wanted to ask you about, you listed some before, but what kind of comorbidities do you think dermatologists are aware of? I assume asthma, allergies, that sort of thing. And which are they most likely to overlook? In dermatology, I think we're prone to overlooking most things that aren't directly related to skin conditions. I mean, I don't know what your practices are like, Dr. Lipoff, Dr. Davey, but for me, I've got a long patient list and a limited time to see everyone. And so it's, of course, easy for these things to slip our minds. I think it's important that we talked about mental health because understanding the impact of the condition on people's mental health is important, not just to you know establish empathy and a good relationship with your patients, but also because it can help steer your treatment decisions if, if the condition's having an outsized impact that might be unexpected based on just what you're seeing from looking at their skin or the other way around where, you, you know, someone looks like they have really bad eczema to your eye, but, you know, they doesn't bother them all that much and it's not affecting them. You, know, you may be less prone to, to escalating treatment. So I think trying to get a sense of the impact of atopic dermatitis on people's mental health in some sort of gestalt sense is really important for those treatment decisions. Another one that I think we often overlook is bone health. And I think this is particularly important for people with atopic dermatitis who have had exposure to a lot of oral steroids over the years. You know, it's unclear whether this is a comorbidity related to the underlying disease process or something that's related to other things going on, like oral corticosteroids. But people often get oral corticosteroids in large doses over time from multiple different providers who maybe aren't aware that they're getting chronically high doses. So that's something that we maybe should be paying more attention to. So I think that's a good point that we often don't see the whole patient because we're so focused on the skin. Do you think that dermatologists should be directly managing things like uh, asthma, allergic rhinitis, osteoporosis? Should they be managing it? Should be getting DEXA scans? To what extent, what is the line where you initiate it versus pass off to say primary care in some of these areas? That's a great question. I think the answer to that is going to really depend on what resources you have access to in your practice, what your level of comfort is with managing uh, those comorbidities. And for me, you know, I work in a tertiary care hospital. I have lots of colleagues around, specialist colleagues, primary care colleagues. Most of my patients to get in to see me have gotten a referral from a primary care doctor. So these are people with ready access to those other services. And I don't need to do a lot of that on my own. I can you know, suggest it to the patient. They talk about it with their other doctors, but for someone who is in a more resource limited setting, their patients maybe don't have as much access. They may have to take on more of that burden themselves. I just think it's important that we don't get out of our depth. If you're comfortable ordering DEXA scans, initiating bisphosphonates, I know some dermatologists who are. Personally, I'm not. So I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. You've got to do what you're comfortable with and what's best for the patient. Yeah, I, I certainly didn't mean to imply that we should all be ordering them. <laughs> but I find myself frequently with, say, an atopic derm patient who has obvious allergic rhinitis, who is not taking anything for it. And I'll be happy to give them, you know, a nasal steroid spray or oral antihistamine. And I feel like that should be within our comfort zone, but, you know, cause it, and it's so easy rather than forcing them to get another visit. But yeah, especially when you have a network and a team like you have, but I think also a lot of private practitioners feel more on an island. And so that makes it harder, but also maybe, especially in rural settings, maybe there isn't anyone else to help, right? So Dr. Davili, I know you mentioned in your part of the course 
using something called a plan, do, study, act model for trying to implement changes and quality improvement, especially in this area in comorbidities. Do you have any examples of what could be trialed to help patients in this area? Absolutely. So as you mentioned, the PDSA model or Plan, Do, Study, Act is this very well-studied model for implementing quality improvement. And the basic idea is that you come up with a plan, you try it out, you see how it works, and you modify it until you get it right. So in the webinar, we talk a little bit about implementing the DLQI for your atopic derm patients. But here I can even share a different example that fits with one of our other MIPS measures. So we have a measure that asks us to measure itch in our patients with dermatitis. And if someone has a baseline score of four or more on a zero to 10 scale, try to show that you can reduce it by two points over the course of a year, which is the reporting period. So if you think about it in the PDSA context, you say, okay, I'm going to start asking my atopic dermatitis patients to rate their itch on a scale of zero to 10. You need to think about everything and how you're going to do it, who's going to do it, where. So you may say, all right, my medical assistants are going to ask that question when they room the patient before I go in, then they're going to put it in the EMR. I'm going to peek and check and make sure it's there before I go in the room. Plus that way I can sort of have a conversation with the patient based on it. And then you also plan for a timing to say, all right, let's do this for, say, 90 days, then we'll check back in. That's your planning stage. Then you move to the do where you start doing it. And the important thing in the doing phase is that you collect some information and some feedback, find out if things are working well. You know, if something goes wrong and the medical assistants run into a hiccup and aren't doing it, make sure that they know they can come talk to you and you can kind of make modifications. Then in the study phase, you look back at your 90-day data, what worked, what didn't work, what can we modify, you know, where are, where are the medical assistants remembering to ask them if they weren't, maybe you'll put signs up at their workstation that say, ask about itch. Maybe you'll put signs up in the room to remind them, are you remembering it? Are they remembering to document it? And then based on that study phase information, you do your act cycle where you plan out the next PDSA cycle and kind of start over. You say, okay, here are the changes we're going to make. Let's do this again. And you kind of keep repeating the cycles until you fine tune the process and it's easy. Everyone knows what they're doing and you're collecting good data that you can use to show that you're having an impact for your patients. That sounds like a good example. I think it's a little intimidating sometimes to collect a lot of data, but I think if you are proactive and set up a system, especially as you were mentioning, two birds with one stone with a MIPS data, that might be effective. Sort of non sequitur, we're talking about mental health comorbidities. Now, when I was looking through some of the, the guidelines and your course, uh, certainly I expected that there might be anxiety, depression, potentially. I mean, we hear about how atopic dermatitis can affect children's ability to be educated. They're distracted. They miss school, other things. I wasn't necessarily expecting ADHD to be in there. I'm wondering, Dr. Drucker, from your experience, obviously you're an expert in this field, were there any things that popped out in the data that were surprising to you? And if so, what? I think what's surprising to me is how we see things differently when we look at atopic dermatitis in, in adults and in children. So this first comorbidity guideline that was published in 2022 was focused exclusively in adults. And there's going to be an upcoming guideline that focuses on children that includes comorbidities as well as, uh, as treatment. But I think, you know, we've, we've usually thought of atopic dermatitis as a disease of childhood. I think we know more and more now that it affects adults. And while cardiovascular risk, osteoporosis and fractures may not really seem to be a fit with atopic dermatitis based on how people classically think of it as a disease of childhood, 
I think some people might be surprised that adults who have had this for their entire lives might be more prone to some of these comorbidities that you wouldn't necessarily think of when you think of childhood eczema. So I think that that may be where people take something away that they weren't expecting to see. Is the increase in osteoporosis just related to corticosteroid exposure, or why do you think we see that? I think we don't really know. I think there are a few potential reasons why atopic dermatitis might be associated with osteoporosis and fractures. To me, the most obvious is corticosteroid exposure, particularly oral corticosteroids, although some people have thought that maybe chronic exposure to topical steroids may play a role as well. Also, chronic inflammation can increase bone turnover, has been associated with decreased bone density. So it's possible that the underlying inflammatory disease itself may be causing some damage to people's bones. And then in terms of fracture risk, injury in general has been shown to be increased with atopic dermatitis. Dr. Jonathan Silverberg did a study a while back that showed that having atopic dermatitis was associated with any kind of musculoskeletal injury, not just fractures. And so that may be related to things like being itchy and therefore being more distractible or more injury prone from being tired all the time because you've been up all night scratching. So these are all hypotheses that have not been proven out, but I think there's more work to do there. That's really fascinating. I really appreciate that summary. That felt very comprehensive, yet very distilled. That was helpful. I think that's a good example for how we think about any comorbidity. There are the more intuitive ones and less intuitive, and maybe we just need to look at the data and respond to it. So I do want to ask a few more questions before we finish. Specifically, when we're talking about comorbidities, I'm wondering about some of our more underrepresented and minority populations that certainly have a lot of atopic dermatitis. Are there certain comorbidities that may affect them disproportionately? I think there isn't as much data on the impact of socioeconomic factors on uh, eczema as we would like, but I know there are a few people who are doing some really strong work in that area, and I expect we'll see more uh, on that in the years to come. But there has been a lot of work and published literature on the influence of different socio-demographic factors, race, ethnicity, and income on asthma in particular. And I think we have a lot to learn from the work that's been done in asthma, that the, the home environment, work environments can play a major role in the longitudinal course of these chronic conditions. So I expect that as more and more work is being done for atopic dermatitis in that area, we'll see some related findings that really call for uh, some systemic changes, as well as individual changes we can make at uh, the individual patient level. So we didn't get much time to go into all the findings that we found in the guidelines. But certainly there are things we talked about atopic things, uh, as far as allergic conditions, but there certainly are infections, other autoimmune diseases, the mental health conditions that we touched on, metabolic conditions, cardiovascular disease, and of course, the bone health conditions. Dr. Dave Lee, I'm wondering, just implementing in the clinic, you talked about the itch scales and such, but what do you think the lowest hanging fruit is as far as what dermatologists can do to address comorbidities? I think the lowest hanging fruit is looking at the guidelines, looking at the webinar and figuring out things that jump out to you as things that you want to change and implement. So if there's something that you see and you go, oh, that's interesting. I'm not screening for that. I'm not asking patients about that. That's going to be the thing that you're most motivated to sort of make a change and do. Or if there's something that sort of speaks to you. So maybe we say like the mental health where you say, okay, this is really important. I want to make sure my patients aren't struggling and not letting me know. I'm going to start screening for that. 
And then the other one that Dr. Drucker mentioned earlier is sort of looking at things that you might be able to kill two birds with one stone. So if they have asthma and they have atopic dermatitis, maybe it's going to push you more toward dupilumab if they need systemic therapy because it can treat both. Or if they have atopic dermatitis and alopecia areata, maybe you're going to go more with a JAK inhibitor. So sometimes being aware of the comorbidities can help to sort of guide your treatment plan a little bit too, to be even more effective for patients. That's a great point. I think it not only useful to help send them out to address, but it can inform your treatment from the start. So I want to thank you both for taking the time out. I'm going to ask you one more question just for our audience sake, what you think the key practice points or the most important take-home messages do you think listeners should take away from this conversation and the guidelines as well? I'd say when it comes to sort of doing something about the guidelines and doing a quality improvement initiative, don't be intimidated. Like you said earlier, Dr. Lipoff, sometimes you look at it and go, wow, this seems like a lot, but we kind of do quality improvement all the time to keep our practices efficient and help our patients. And the process of doing it is just sort of measuring it a little bit to make sure that what you think you're doing is working. So don't be intimidated, get your feet wet, try a small quality improvement project, and you can kind of build from there. I'll piggyback a little bit on what Dr. Dewey said before about paying attention to people's comorbidities when you're selecting your treatments for atopic dermatitis. I think that's become more and more important. It's something that I'm doing more and more in my day-to-day practice, specifically for people who are considering systemic treatment for atopic dermatitis. And if you can treat more than one condition at once, it's great to be able to do that. And I think we'll be thinking about that more and more as new biologics, new targeted therapies are approved that have multiple indications and can work to help patients for more than one condition that they have. Great. So one take-home message, I guess, more parsimonious, efficient medical care. Sounds great. Well, I want to thank you both, Dr. Dewey and Dr. Drucker, for your time. And please, everyone, make sure to check out on the AAD website, the webinar course on atopic dermatitis comorbidities. Excellent. And make sure to check out the guidelines that were published in JAD in 2022. I'm Dr. Jules Lipoff. Thanks again for listening to Dialogues in Dermatology and have a great day. Experience the surge in popularity among dermatologists with Unify Surgical Sutures from AD Surgical. Our sutures boast competitive pricing and exceptional needle quality, providing unparalleled value for your practice. Visit unifysutures.com and choose from over 300 suture options tailored to meet your specific needs. Call 888-841-8481 and mention this podcast ad to receive one free box of Unify Nylon Biopsy Sutures. No purchase necessary. Thanks again for tuning in to another edition of Dialogues in Dermatology. For more dialogues, subscribe to us through the website of the American Academy of Dermatology, then link your subscription through your favorite podcast app. Remember, the subscription is free for residents. New podcasts are released each week in addition to free special bonus episodes. You can also listen to dialogues online through the AAD website. Thanks again for listening.